Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? It's great to have you here. Isn't it beautiful just to worship God and lift our voices? How do you guys like the new seating? Unsure? Mixed response. Well, we're going to keep doing it anyway. It, uh, it makes more room for us. We have some more seats in here. It also gives more access points along the rows, and uh, we're really grateful that you're here with us today. As you can see, this service gets pretty full, and so we have a first service where we do all the same thing. Everyone's welcome to that one as well, but we're so honored you're here at Graceland Church with us. Before I get into the message, uh, I want to take a moment to remember uh, the tragic and heroic events of September 11th, 2001. Uh, Depending on your age, you will remember exactly where you were, exactly what you were doing. I was in college, and it absolutely just overwhelmed us on the campus. And we spent days and days just praying. It was a Bible college, so there's a chapel. Just praying at the altar, seeking God, trying to just make sense of everything. It was in the Northeast, so a lot of my classmates had family in New York City. Uh, But man, we want to remember those we lost and remember those who have sacrificed so much. Uh, we want to honor uh, the heroes. We have some in our midst. Phil Ramirez is, is in this full outfit right here. Thank you for serving. There may be others. I know there's probably other law enforcement or firefighters. We're thankful for you heroes. Uh, but let's take this as an opportunity to remember, but also to pray. So can you guys join me? Lord, we, we thank you for this day that you've made. Uh, we thank you uh, for our country. We thank you. Uh, that we have the privilege of having breath today. You've given us this gift called today. And we believe it's really important to pause and remember and reflect on those events that happened over 20 years ago. Um, Lord, I know there are many still grieving, incredible loss that happened that day. There's also people all across our country grieving all kinds of things. And we pray for the comfort of your spirit to overwhelm them, Lord. We pray that you will strengthen and uplift the broken, Lord. We pray, God, that you will bring hope to those that feel hopeless. Uh, And above all, Lord, we pray that things like this, tragic events, um, though they cause so much devastation, God, we pray that they will also remind us to look to you, our only hope. God, so we turn our attention to you. We ask for spiritual awakening in our nation, and not just our nation. We pray for awakening across our world, God, across our planet, God. We pray for your church uh, to rise up, God, on the mission that we've been called to, and we ask for you to do what only you can do across this planet, and we've seen it at times in the past, God. Bring life, bring hope, bring renewal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you guys well know, one of the things we had to do as a nation after that kind of devastation was learn how to move forward, learn how to have hope again, how to cling to the fact that we can still have a future. And that's what this series is about. It's a three-part series called Dream Again. And our prayer is really simple, that you would reconnect with the God-given dreams of your heart. And we believe the way that that happens is through divine wake-up calls to the life that God intended for us. Now, when you talk to little kids, they say some of the most adorable things about the things that they are dreaming about. So this first little one said, I want to be a singer because I'm a good singer and I can make loud noises with my mouth. (laughs) Good logic. The second kid, I want to be a doctor 
so I can take care of my mom. Can we also have a collective awe to that? That's so sweet. My kids had some interesting dreams when they were little. This is Kenzie when she was younger. She said, Dad, I'm never getting married. I'm just going to be alone and have babies. But wait, who will take care of my babies because I'm going to work? She's right here. She's changed a lot since then. That was many years ago. My other little one who's right here, Nessa, when she was really little, she said this. I want to be a Christian, artist, gymnast girl, and maybe consider adopting kids later. I just want to be alone. It's hard being a mom. It's gross to be married, and it's weird to be pregnant. <laughs> Can all the women say amen? She's changed a little bit since then. Here's, here's her newest one that she said to us. Mom, will I have a chance to be married before Jesus blows that horn? <laughs> she was learning about the second coming of Jesus. Haven't we all prayed that prayer? You know, at some point or another, if you grew up in church, some of you guys are praying that prayer today. You're like, I want to dream again about that future spouse. In all seriousness, I want you to pause for a minute and ask yourself, do I remember what life felt like when it was a blank canvas filled with possibility? You might have to go way back for that. Do you remember when you were filled with dreams for what could be? And not just specific things, but a, a life of hope, a life of joy, a life of actual freedom and forgiveness, a life of loving relationships, flourishing marriage, family, meaningful work or significant investment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Our prayer is that you'll reconnect with some of these God-given dreams of your heart over these next three weeks. I'm encouraging some people, if this really resonates and stirs with you after today, seek the Lord in prayer and fasting uh, over these next few weeks. And just, I'm going to give you some clear action points and prayer points by the end of this sermon. And also, I'm believing God will speak to your own heart. On our website, actually, gracelandchurch.com slash dream again, we created a page where anyone can fill out some prayer requests, some things they're dreaming about, and it can be anonymous if you'd like. And we have a team of people that just believe in prayer and will pray for everything going on in your life. And that's not just for our church, but anyone in the community uh, is welcome to that or around the nation. Today is going to be called How to Dream Again. Next Sunday is called Dream Where You Are, and that's going to be about healthy relationships and work. And then part three is going to be Dreaming with Boldness and Freedom. And these pieces of artwork up here, and let me just start by acknowledging some of you guys would not consider this artwork. I have one friend who he says, anything that someone says is art that looks like I could do it, I don't consider art. That's his opinion. My opinion is different. I think this is beautiful artwork, and I'm going to explain where it came from and what it's about. Not as much today, but it's going to be a three-week illustration, and on week three, we're really going to dive into, I believe, a significant illustration uh, with these two pieces. But let's start with this definition. A dream is a cherished aspiration ambition, or ideal, and to dream is to imagine that cherished aspiration coming to be. And before we can look at our dreams or anything going on in our hearts, I want to invite you with me to use your imagination to zoom way out, big picture, beyond time and space, before all of creation or whatever you believe about creation. There are five words that begin the entire Bible that I believe set the stage for us to understand, to begin to understand what it is to dream again. This is a grand story that we're all a part of. And it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. You can even just look at those first four words, in the beginning, God, because God is telling us right there that he is self-existent. 
and he is everlasting. He had no beginning. He had no end. That is impossible for us to even fathom, yet it is how God introduces himself to us, and it's what is true of God. And then the very first thing he tells us about himself, in the midst of his self-existence, it says, in the beginning, God created. So his very first act was that of an artist, of someone who had a vision. We don't often think about God like this, but number one in your notes is God is a dreamer. He imagined something he wanted to happen, and according to scripture, he spoke it into existence. So get this, all of creation is the ambition of God. Everything he created, the vastness of the universe that as far as we understand is ever expanding, but we only see a glimpse of this and that's within time and space. God is outside of time and space. It all comes from him, the source. Then for time, I'm not gonna read the whole creation narrative, but in verse 27, it says something absolutely incredible. It says, God created mankind, us, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this is so wonderful and startling to really think about. But number two, when God dreamed of all creation, he decided to make you in his image and invited you to dream with him. He breathed the breath of life into you and he said, you are going to be like me. You are gonna be the only thing in all of creation that is like me. I am your father, he says. And he created Adam and Eve and we can read the whole account. And he said, you guys can now dream with me. Enjoy this pasture, enjoy this garden. Help me name things, cultivate this land. Imagine what life could be in the context of my great dream for you. What an invitation. And I believe God's heart delights when we dream. I've got four children and I have my four-year-old boy, who's my only boy. On Friday, I told him in the morning that I had to go to an art store and it was a day that I needed to pick him up because my wife was teaching in the school. And so I was picking him up around noon at preschool and he had been so excited all day to go to this art store that as soon as he walked out of the school and saw me waiting by the car, he said, is it time to go to the art store? And I said, yes, and his teacher was loving it, dropped me off in the car straight to the art store after a quick stop at Chick-fil-A, of course. I mean, there's certain things, priority of life. Chick-fil-A, art store. He is having the time of his life going through these aisles. We were buying supplies for some of this artwork that we created and he was loving it because right now he's obsessed with drawing. He's obsessed with coloring. He, he will do it for literally hours, even as a little four-year-old. And you know what? Me as his father, I grew up as an artist. I loved painting and drawing and sculpting, and I still do. And I love creating music, and I love writing sermons, and I, I get into that kind of space, and I can spend hours and hours and hours. And I've seen glimpses of that in all my children, my girls and my boy. And so they are dreaming like I dream, in the context of the vision that my wife and I had for their lives before they existed. And guess what? I love that. And I believe our Heavenly Father loves it when we dream within the dream that he had for us. When I was about 16, I guess 17 years old actually, when I had really met the Lord and my life had transformed I was sitting down with my dad one day to show him this song that was just ministering to me. It was by Delirious. Any fans? Come on. Where's my 90s kids at? Um, it was called Deeper. And the chorus of that song says, and the wonder of it all is that I'm living just to fall more in love with you. 
And I, it was, I was crying, worshiping, listening to the song. I was like, Dad, you got to see this song by Delirious. It's awesome. And my dad sat there just amazed watching me do this. I remember it because he said it was his first time really having fellowship in the Lord, kind of dreaming in the Lord about the wonder of following Jesus with one of his blood and flesh family members because his family wasn't Christian. They didn't grow up in the church or walking with God. And he married my mom, of course, but that wasn't his flesh and blood, literally. I mean, they became one biblically. His theology was a little off. But then, that was a joke. Then I was his oldest child, and I was the first one that really just had this transformative encounter with God. So it was super significant for my dad to be fellowshipping in a sense of dreaming about the wonders of loving Jesus with his son. He loved it. He never forgot that. I've never forgotten it as his son. And all those are just glimpses of, I believe, how much the heart of God rejoices when you dream because you were created in his image. He loves it. He loves it. It's important spending this kind of time on it because we don't often think or remember that God is a dreamer and created us to be dreamers. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23 through 23 to get a little bit more clarity around this. This is the Apostle Paul, who was the original church planter. He wrote more books of the New Testament than any other author. God used him to write these books. And he says in verse 18, as he's praying for the church in Ephesus, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And so we can take this prayer for us. The Apostle Paul is in a sense praying for us. It's really the Lord praying through people for us. I pray that your eyes, the eyes of your heart, may be enlightened. So that's obviously not talking about physical sight. It's talking about seeing something, having spiritual eyes, an awakening to dreaming the way God wants us to dream. And here's this foundational shift. Number three, God lovingly moves us from selfish dreaming to godly dreaming through divine awakening. He lovingly moves us from selfish dreaming to godly dreaming through divine awakening. We often begin with very selfish dreaming, and sometimes we spend our whole lives stuck in selfish dreaming, but we all learn at some point or another that selfish dreaming doesn't really work. Corey Russell said this, many believers experience identity crises because they are trying to find themselves outside of God. And I like how he used the word believers there, because sometimes even after we meet Jesus, we have this sense of kind of dreaming outside of God, but it's not working. Dreaming outside of God doesn't work. It usually leads to one of two options, either unfulfilled failures or unfulfilled successes, meaning those successes aren't going to fulfill, those failures aren't going to fulfill when you are dreaming outside of God. There is really no win that is a lasting, hopeful, fruitful scenario. We all need this awakening that the Apostle Paul is talking about, this enlightening of our heart. Scripture calls it being born again. It calls it seeing with spiritual eyes. It calls it encountering the living God, being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's so many different nuances to this, but we all need it, all of us. And we all are called to come back to it. And then he articulates after verse 18, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he's now setting the stage for an entirely different kind of awakeness, if you will, or dreaming. E. Stanley Jones says this way, godly amb ambition is, God, is gospel ambition. 
We dream because God rescued our corrupted, selfish ambitions and gave us the capacity to desire, dream, and work for his glory. So really, according to Ephesians 1, those verses that we just read, number four, godly dreaming is filled with hope, a glorious inheritance, and incomparably great power. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of dreaming I would like to have the capacity for. How many of you would like to be able to dream and have every single one of your dreams be filled with actual hope? Anybody with me? How many would like for every one of your dreams to be filled with actual glorious inheritance? Yes, sign me up. Who would like the way you dream to be filled with incomparably great power? That is giving us a glimpse of what it is to dream in the context of the way that God has created us to dream. When we try to dream outside of God, we are left trying to accomplish all of it. Therefore, it is not incomparably great power. It is very, very limited power. Anybody with me? And it crushes us over and over and over again. It begs the question, though, how do we do this godly dreaming? What does this actually practically look like? And I want to introduce a concept that you may or may not have heard. I learned it from a pastor in my life named Gary Spell, and it's called divine order. And the principle is this, number five, godly dreaming follows divine order. In other words, there is a plan, a blueprint, an order that God has established for us to actually align our lives around that leads to this godly dreaming. It, it articula articulates it in Ephesians 1, if we continue reading in verse 19b. That power, that incomparably great power, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, above power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but any name to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Talking about Jesus. So saying Jesus fills everything in every way. He is first and foremost. To help us further understand Colossians 1.15, look at this. It says, the son Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, things have been created through him and for him. So this is setting this stage that we need to understand that God is preeminent above and over all. And the way that Pastor Gary said it is this, divine order says everything begins with God. That's number six. He is the source. He is before and over and after all. And the perfectly clear image of God is Jesus. Jesus is God's own son. God come to us incarnated in the flesh. That's why our mission, everything we're about at Graceland Church, and more than that, just as followers of Jesus, is to follow Jesus. It's on our mission statement right there. Because divine order teaches us over and over and over again, God first, it all comes from him. There is no dreaming apart from God. There is no life, there is no health apart from God. John 15, which we're gonna get to in a few months when we get back to the Gospel of John, says that he's the vine, we're the branches, and if we're disconnected from the vine, there is no life on the branch. <laughs> divine order says everything begins with God. Now, this divine order can never be changed, it's always true, but it's up to us as Christians to say yes to divine order with how we dream. That's why we follow 
Jesus. In, in Studio G, which is our Graceland Elementary Kids Ministry, they're meeting upstairs right now. Um, they teach this thing to the kids, and it's an acronym for joy, J-O-Y. And it says, do you guys know where I'm going with this? Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Divine order. We'll toss things that, like that out the window because it sounds like a little statement. What does it even really mean? It sounds like something that's impossible, but this is the divine order God has called you to. To be so in love with Jesus, like the delirious song lyric, the wonder of it all is I'm living more to fall, as I'm living just to fall more and more in love with you. Nothing will work in your life in regards to dreaming again until Jesus is preeminent in your life as your focus. And I don't just mean like you're working that up and you're working so hard to make it true. I mean like you're in love with Jesus. Your heart burns to know Jesus. And if you're sitting there right now thinking, I don't have this towards Jesus, that's okay. And that's a cue. Man, I need another divine wake-up call. I, I need to be stirred towards my first love of Jesus. There is no dreaming again outside of this. We oftentimes get divine order exactly backwards. Yourself first, others second, Jesus last. Anybody can confess with me? Yeah. Sometimes I wake up, and if, if I'm not careful, I can order my day all around the exact opposite of divine order because I'm like, all right, I got to make sure I'm good, me, myself, and I. Okay, good, me, myself, and I. Okay, good, me, I. This is what I want. This is how it's going to work. And, and I totally get the things like put the action, oxygen mask on you first, and that's true, but you can take that to such an extreme that you are obsessed with making your whole life work around you always. That's the opposite of divine order. Then you might think of someone else, maybe your family, maybe those that don't annoy you that day, and then you might get to the point of what it is to love and follow and behold this Jesus. And dreaming will not work in that context. Your heart will not dream again. Think about it this way. First of all, when you're obsessed with yourself, it's very difficult to see clearly. There's an old Keith Green lyric. He said, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. It's very hard to dream again in a godly way when our eyes are just on us. And then when we're, when we're overly obsessed with others and when we put others before Jesus, that's called maybe being a people pleaser or being obsessed with what others think about you or finding all of your worth and how you compare to others. You guys know what I'm talking about? And guess what? You guys will agree with this right away, I'm sure. Nothing kills the God-given dreams of your heart quicker than over-obsessing about what everyone else thinks about you. And if you're overly obsessed with pleasing people, that's kind of codependency, meaning I can only be okay if everyone else is okay with me and what I'm doing. That'll kill the God-given dreams of your heart because you're out of divine order. So to come back into divine order is to say, God, I repent of putting so many things before you. This is why the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. No person can be before God in your life, not even your spouse, not even yourself. What God says about you is truer than what you say about you. Isn't that good news? What God knows to be true of you is more important than what you think is true of you. You're his beloved. And we miss this when we get out of order. So to come back into order, repent, and say, you are going to be on the throne king of my heart. We sang it earlier in the song. And just a reminder, God lovingly moves us from selfish dreaming to godly dreaming through divine awakening. And we're going to close with a case study today. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Colossians and Ephesians, uh, both of the books we read from today, 
before he was the apostle Paul, his name was Saul. And look at me for a second, because this context is so, is, is so important. He was born as a, a young Jewish you know, baby, turned into a young boy, was raised into becoming a Pharisee. He was very gifted. He was a good communicator. He was, had very sharp intellect. And he became what scripture uh, lets us know is a Pharisee among Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and they were, the, they were sharp. They worked the hardest. They were so educated. They performed their pious acts for the whole world to see. And Saul was number one. Saul was the best. That was the dream of his art. He thought he was doing it for God. He thought it was what God had for him. And it actually took him to the point where he became a Christian killer because Jesus was seen as such a threat to the Pharisees and what they had established, which he was. And Saul was someone who arrested Christians and would oversee the martyring of Christians. And it's an absolutely phenomenal transformation that happens in his life, and it's recorded in Acts 9, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to read it. It'll be a model for us. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Murderous threats, it says. This is the guy who would write all these books of the New Testament. It says, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, capital W, because it's talking about those who followed the way of Jesus. They weren't even called Christians yet. They just practiced the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That's his dream. This is his ambition. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And then later in that chapter, God told someone named Ananias to go meet Saul and pray for him for his sight to be restored. And that happened. And then God said later in chapter nine, this man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So God lovingly and powerfully knocked him off of his horse in the middle of his misinformed dream, his selfish dream that was very much all about Saul, even though it pretended to look like it was all about God, and he knocked him off his horse, and Saul beheld Jesus, and it changed him forever. He couldn't even see. He couldn't even eat and drink for three days. He had no idea what was going on. And then he started learning about God's dream for his life. And it leads to the final and main point this morning is this. Godly dreaming begins with the greatest dream of beholding Jesus. Get this down in your heart. For you, godly dreaming begins with the greatest dream of beholding Jesus. And if your passion for beholding Jesus has softened or waned, take today as a wake-up call. God wants you to be alive and awake to your first love. We're not routinely saying, God first, other second, yourself third. No, we are passionately in love with this Jesus who we can't get more on the throne of our heart. We can't get enough of beholding him. And I'm telling you, when you see Jesus, your life comes into focus. You begin to dream in the context of the dream. 
God's dream for your heart. You realize about this great salvation. You realize the fullness of the spirit. You realize what you thought you longed for might not be it. Things that you used to dream for just selfishly, you know, pale in comparison. The apostle Paul says in Philippians, all this stuff, all these accomplishments, when I was Saul going through all these motions and accomplishing all these things, I count them all like dung, he said, compared to the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ my Lord. This is the divine order, and we can go nowhere into the specifics of how our hearts are dreaming and the things that God has placed until we get back to putting Jesus first. Sam Storms said, we become like that which we behold. We will never be transformed into the likeness of God or be conformed to the image of Christ until we learn how to behold his beauty. To see him is to be like him. As David beheld the beauty of the Lord, as he meditated on the glorious perfections and passions of God's character, he became more like God. More than that, he fell ever more in love with God. So the way that you can dream again is by beholding the wonder and beauty of Jesus again. Period. There is no other access point. This is it. And this is the greatest invitation you will ever have in your life. And this is the thing that arrested my heart 22 years ago when I became for myself someone that really became consumed with beholding the wonder of Jesus. I honestly was like, I was a young man. I had the visions and goals of my life were to hang with my friends, hang out with my high school girlfriend, play as a band, go to art school. I knew what I was gonna do. I had a vision for my life. I was doing good at it. And all of a sudden I got knocked off my horse and I beheld Jesus. And my whole life changed. Not that any of those things were bad. But now, since then, my whole goal, and I've, you know, you, you go up and down on this and you guys can relate, but we are invited to return. This is what repentance is. We're invited to return to loving Jesus. And let me tell you, your heart will begin to dream again. And what we are talking about next week, dream where you are, dream again for the relationships in your life, the work, the things that are already in your life, God will renew that in ways that will blow your mind when you return to your first love. And then the third week, boldness and freedom in dreaming. But we need to start today, this series, it's just an altar call, simple as that. It's an altar call for you, wherever you are. It could be for the first time for you to say, man, I wanna follow you, Jesus. I don't, I don't know even what's in my heart towards you. I wanna know you. It starts with simple prayers like that. It's just, it's a surrender. It's, a, it's, a, it's becoming an honest seeker. It's between you and the Lord. But I invite you to respond today. If it's for the first time, or it might be for the hundredth time or the thousandth time, but we are called to return to this over and over and over again. And I'm gonna invite the worship team up. And I asked them to do a specific song today, which is an old Michael W. Smith song, um, and it says, hallelujah, hallelujah, which just means praise the Lord. We're talking about Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. And then it says, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God that was slain for us before the foundation of the world so that we might have life. The forgiveness of your sins, a clean slate, fresh canvas, new vision. This is all through the lamb of God that was slain for us before you even existed. And connecting with that will awaken your heart to dream. It will awaken your mind. It will set you free. So all we're going to do is focus on beholding Jesus. That's all we're going to do. That's our whole response. 
You may not know anything about what you need right now in your life. You may be wrestling. You might be so disappointed, so overwhelmed. You might be so angry, so caught up in sin, so wrestling, so doubting. You might be all across the spectrum today. I'm sure we are here in this room. And I have been in so many of those places. But the altar call in the midst of all of that is simple. Let's lift our eyes to where our help comes from and behold Jesus, who is with me on it. Church, let's give a round of applause unto God. Let's lift our hearts and our voices. Come on, church. Let's lift it up before the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lamb. Come on, church. The Lamb who is slain, we shout your praises, God. We clap our hands unto you. We lift our voices unto you. You know, I believe, church, that what it really looks like to begin to dream again is to have a revival of worshiping Jesus. That's what it looks like. And it's not just Sunday morning. It'll overflow here on us together on Sunday morning, and that's going to be beautiful. But it looks like you on your face before Jesus worshiping on Monday morning. It looks like you in the afternoon in your car getting a glimpse of this worship of the heavens and overflowing in worship. And if you've not tasted that yet, I'm praying you will taste that. I'm praying God will grab your heart and give you a vision for this more than you've ever experienced. And that's why when we gather as worship, we're not waiting on worship leaders like Jaron and Michelle and the team and everybody else to call us to worship. We show up and we just do what we always do. It's the overflow of our hearts to worship God. That's what God is interested in calling us to. Doesn't mean you're gonna be necessarily as expressive as someone else because God's gonna move through your personality. But I do believe you're gonna find yourself on your face in silence. You're gonna find yourself weeping before the Lord. You're gonna find yourself, even if you're not a shouter, shouting before God when you're by yourself, when you're not self-conscious. That's what I do. When I'm by myself in this room, you would think I am a madman. I'm not joking. I will run around this room yelling and shouting when I sense like just the victory of God. You guys know what I'm talking about? I will do it in my house. That's not because I've got anything going on. It's actually a problem. I'm afraid to do it with other people. I can only do it by myself. I'm just too self-conscious. Is anybody with me? So like the feeling of self-conscious is okay, right? But God is interested in us learning what it is to worship together and by ourselves, and, and be unhindered by the opinions of others around us, right? Be unhindered by what, so I, you know what holds me back sometimes? I, I know how we get more and more cynical in life and I know people are gonna look at me and be like, look at that silly little kid. He thinks he can still worship. Just wait till he experiences some real life. Look at that over emotionalism. I think things like that. But that, that, that's when I'm focusing on other people though, not when I'm focusing on God. When I'm focusing on God and just let myself worship, I don't know what I do because I'm focusing on God. And there's really no such thing of like, did you like worship today? Because worship is not for you, it's for God right? We want you to like love what's happening here, but it's not for you. It's for God. You know what I'm saying? It's a theological shift, and I'm praying for revival of worship of Jesus in your heart and in our church. So on your way out, before I pray this benediction, um, as Pastor Oscar mentioned, we got groups out there. The reason we do groups, the reason we serve on teams, the reason we have Newcomers Connect is to help and come alongside you as part of the body, which is a God-ordained pattern to be the church together to keep us walking in that divine order. That's how we do it. So if you want to lean into that even more, I encourage you, check out a group. There's like five or six or seven or eight. I'm not sure. There's men's, there's women's, there's family. There's, there's all kinds of things going on. There's teams to serve on. Just put your name on a few things there and leaders will be in touch. But at the end of the day, it's on you to let yourself connect 
with the family of God. It's on you to make it a priority, and I encourage you to do that. I believe it's part of the revival of worshiping Jesus. Um, that being said, I feel like we just need to sing that chorus like two more times with just our voices. Can you just lead us out on holy? Let's sing a church, and then I'll pray a benediction. his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys.